We're somewhere in the middle of the North Atlantic Ocean. There's dark water, stormy skies, monster swells. The year is 1980. A ship loaded with supplies, including crates of a Belgian beer called Lindemann's Ude Creek, swells from side to side. We can picture the captain, face clouded with concern. This is no easy ride. These are savage waters. But his job is to deliver the boat safely to the U.S. East Coast and keep the cargo intact. The seas continue to churn, however. Somewhere in the hold, nature goes to work. The beer, shaken by the storm, awakens. And as anyone who has ever shaken a carbonated bottle knows, pressure begins to build and build. What happened next in the rugged waters of the Atlantic changed the course of one company's history forever. From Earblitz, I'm Nate Carney, and this is Belgian Beer Quest. Lindemann's is one of Belgium's oldest and most respected beer brands. It lies in Leitzenbeek, a rural part of Belgium which is not far from Brussels in the Senna River Valley. Its Lambic beers are world famous, and the business has been run by a member of the Lindemann's family for six generations, for almost 200 years. If you've heard of Lindemann's, it's likely through their award-winning cherry-flavored creek beer, the raspberry-flavored framboise, or one of their other fruit beers, peach, cassis, or apple. Now, the story of how those beers came to be started on that dark and stormy ocean when Lindemann's sought to crack the American market by shipping Ude Creek, a complex, fruit-tinged lambic beer, across the ocean for the first time. Let's hear from Dirk Lindemans, a great, 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 and possibly one more great grandnephew of the founder and the company's managing director about what happened. During transport, however, there was uh, a huge problem because uh, due to the waves uh, of the sea, the re-fermentation was activated and the bottles in that time, they were not so strong and there was also not a capsule uh, to protect the cork jumping out the bottle. So when the container arrived, we really had a problem. Okay. Our importer had really a problem because all the bottles mostly were exploded or the corks jumped out. And so it was really a mess when it arrived. And then we had to find a solution in order to uh, stabilize uh, the refermentation during transport overseas. And uh, we tried with uh, pasteurization uh, after uh, the refermentation, uh, after the blending, um, we pasteurized the creek, uh, the old creek in that time. Uh, so, but the yeast didn't have the time, in fact, to, to ferment all the fruit flavors and also the fruit sugars. That makes that the beer was more um, accessible in taste. And so we, tr we start to transport this kind of beer to the United States and people really liked it. It was uh, a bit of sweet taste, a very fruity taste. And that was the beginning of the success of, of this kind of beers. And a few years later, we tried the same with um, raspberry and then the framboise was born. And framboise till today is the most successful beer in, on the United States market. Beer aficionados may be familiar with beers like Creek or Framboise, the concept of Lambics is a bit more complex. In very simple terms though, 
Lambic is a specific type of beer that's brewed, stored, and then used as a base to make beers like Creek, Framboise, Udegoose, in which Uda is Dutch for old, Uda Creek, and others. And we'll cover those in more depth in a bit. But on its own, Lambic is flat. It doesn't have bubbles, but it does have a beautiful amber color and can sit in barrels for several years and indeed has to do that for beers to carry the old appellation. Lambics have a tangy taste, a bit sour even, and a long finish. When I visited Lindemann's, I got to try a 2014 vintage straight from a massive 10,000 liter barrel, and it wasn't altogether different than tasting a Chardonnay. And though Lambic is most definitely not wine, Lambic producers share something very similar with Vintners. They have to be patient. Again, let's hear from Dirk. Lambic is slow food. Eh? It's not a beer that's ready on, on two, three weeks. You need to have a lot of patience, of course, to have a good Lambic, but it doesn't stop with the Lambic. Eh? After one year, you have a good young Lambic, but to make an old goose, for example, you need also a lambic of three years old. And then making a blend of it, uh, re-fermented on bottle. You have to put your bottles then at least for several months away in a good cellar for the re-fermentation. So it takes quite a lot of time to make a good old goose. So you need to be very patient, of course, to make a good end product. Another defining characteristic of Lambics involves the thing that I find astounding, wonderful, and almost magical. It involves a process called spontaneous fermentation. Now, before we dig into why spontaneous fermentation makes Lambics so special, I want to offer a quick note on beer making to give us a little context as to why what Lindemann's does is so interesting. From a very basic standpoint, Fermentation happens when yeast is added to the liquid mixture that comes from mashing together grains in hot water. Or simply put, beer isn't beer until yeast shows up. So yeast then is vital for serious brewers. It's their beer DNA, the thing that makes their beer distinct and special. Many beer makers guard their yeast with a ferocity that approaches state secrets. This makes what happens with Lambics all the more incredible. Lambic producers like Lindemann's use yeast that occurs naturally, in the air. You have to know yeast is everywhere around the world. It's not only in this region. But here we have a very specific microflora with some specific yeast strains like Bretomyces bruxellensis, Bretomyces lambicus, and they give the typical taste to the lambic. And these yeasts are still wild here in the environment. And they are not cultivated, they are just in the air. If you go to Japan or the US or to another country, you will also have a local microflora, but totally different because you have another microclimate, you have another vegetation, you have another soil, and that makes that there is another concentration of wild yeasts in the air. And you can use the spontaneous fermentation worldwide, but the result will be always different because you have other yeasts in the air, and it's the yeast who turns on over the fermentable sugars into alcohol, but not only alcohol, but also in flavors. And the concentration of yeast is always different in each region. Even in this particular region of the Lambics, eh, we have uh, still nine Lambic breweries left, and the taste of these Lambics are already different. Uh, we are only a few kilometers from each other. So the microflora is very specific for each region. 
Yep, to make the lambic that serves as the base for all of their beers, the Lindemann's team transfers the liquid mix known as wort, the stuff that isn't yet beer, from massive kettles to huge open-topped metal vats that hold 18,000 liters and are, very appropriately, called cool ships. Then they open the windows and let the liquid sit overnight in the cool ships during the months between late September and April, when temperatures drop low enough for the process to work. When this happens, the natural yeasts in the air, microflora that are invisible to the human eye, mix with the brew, which spontaneously begins to ferment. This was wild for me, yet something so scientific and so financially critical, at least for Lindemann's, could be left to ingredients that were invisible, and thus outside the company's control. And even though Dirk approached all of this very scientifically, I had to ask. Was spontaneous fermentation kind of, you know, was it magic? Yeah, it's indeed, uh, for a lot of people, something magic. In fact, yeah, it's, it's just um, yeah, by trial and error, in fact, that already in the past people found out, okay, this is the right manner to brew a good lambic. Uh, I'm already sixth generation now in this family business. Uh, we have quite a lot of experience in, in, in brewing lambic. And okay, we, uh, it's always uh, the stories from father to son, uh, how to to brew a good lambic and um, we can manage it. We have to work, of course, with nature and that's not so easy eh, because nature sometimes can be difficult, but we, we can control it. Um, we know when we can brew and how we have to brew. Stay tuned for more after the break. So Dirk mentioned this earlier, the importance of location. As long as Lindemann's is in the Lambic business, they're tied to one spot. Inside Lindemann's headquarters, in fact, I got to see a fascinating photo of how their facilities have evolved over time. And it's not what you might expect. In the picture, in the center, you can see the original farm buildings, ancient looking, red roofed and worn. But then popping up all around those original buildings are new ones. Additions squeezed in, made in 1871, 2003, and most recently in 2015. And when many other companies would have scrapped the farm altogether and rebuilt in a corporate park near a logistics hub, Lindemann's didn't. In fact, they couldn't. So the location of the barrels is not so important. The only thing which is important is the cool down process in open air and the spontaneous fermentation or natural fermentation. And that must happen here in this site. Even if we move five kilometers from here, you will already have a, a different taste in your lambic. So it's really important that the production, the, the brewing process stays here in this uh, building. Yeah. Today, Dirk and his cousin Geert, who serves as the CEO, are responsible for growing the business and have helped to shepherd it through some of its most trying times. Like, for instance, the dawn of the internet. In the 1990s, Dirk had to work hard to convince his uncle and father, who ran the company at the time, to put up a website and get an email account. These seem like basic things today, but some of us may remember similar persuasive conversations that we had to have with our own managers back in the day. 
or there were the price wars of the early 2000s, when Lambic producers nearly destroyed one another with price cuts while trying to access lucrative markets. But through it all, the Lindemans family kept a steady hand, which is not totally unsurprising. I mean, they've been going steady for a long time, for two centuries, more or less. Yeah, it all started indeed in uh, 1822, when uh, one of my over-over-grandfathers uh, married the daughter of the formal farmer uh, of this site here. And even in that period, it was already a farm brewery. In the wintertime, there was not too much work on the fields, so they started to make lambic uh, with the grains that they cultivated in summertime. And then it was always one of the sons who continued the business. And we were lucky because, yeah, in that time, there were big families uh, with 10 children. And there was only one who uh, continued the family business and the brewing and the farming part. And brewing farming was always connected till 1954, 1955, when my grandfather died. I never knew him. I was not yet born at that time. But then there was too much work to combine. And that time, my uncle and my father, they were teenagers. And they have to do everything uh, by their own while they are studying and uh, my, with my grandmother uh, in that time also. And so they decide to stop the farm activities and just continue with brewing the lambic, which was in fact a good decision yes. at that time. <laughs> Lucky me, otherwise I was a farmer. So. <laughs> It was good for all of us who are into Lindemann's beers, in fact, that the family opted for brewing rather than farming. And through the years, Lindemann's has developed a healthy range of beers. We've heard about fruit beers, which blend lambics with fruit juices to produce refreshing, low alcohol, and surprisingly complex creek, framboise, and others. And recently, in a move toward continued innovation, Lindemann's developed three specialty beers, known as Spontan Basel, Blossom Guza, and Ginger Guza, which use herbs in the brewing process and which are crafted to go well with specific types of cuisine. In the case of Spontan Basel, this involved a partnership with the cutting-edge Danish brewer Mikkeler, who, in a quick digression, is also worth checking out. When I visited a Mikkeler shop in Copenhagen, the guy working there told me that the founder is basically Breaking Bad's Walter White, but without all the drugs and other horrible stuff that happens in that show. But back to Lindemann's. Some of their classic beers can be occasionally mystifying. This may be because the taste profile is complex, and especially for English speakers anyway, because the names are so Flemish. Beers like Ude Creek or Old Creek, which is closely related to Lindemann's Creek beer, but which uses different aged lambics and the famous Scarbeek Belgian cherries. Then there are Guza and Ude Guza, which are, well, I'll let Dirk explain. Geuze is coming in fact from gazeux, it means sparkling, and geuze lambic means a sparkling lambic. And you can compare the champagne and wine with geuze and lambic. And wine is also flat, lambic is also flat, only the ingredients are different. Wine is made with grapes and lambic is made with the grains. And because we are in a colder temperature, there are no grapes here, but the method is in fact the same. And then the refermentation on bottle, eh, wine refermented on bottle, and you have a sparkling wine or champagne if it's in the region, a certain region of France. And here it's the same with Geuze. If you let referment the lambic on the bottle, 
and you have a sparkling lambic or a geuze. And now we call it an old geuze. And there is a difference between old geuze and geuze. Very important to know. Old Geuze has a label um, of a traditional speciality guaranteed from Europe, while Geuze uh, is a filtered Geuze, in fact, and is made with a lambic of one year old, uh, then filtered and pasteurized. So there is no refermentation. An old Geuze is always with refermentation on bottle. The taste is also different. Old Geuze is, uh, has a fresh sourness, uh, a bit sherry-like, rhubarber, yeah, very nice to drink. And the Geuze is uh, more accessible in taste. It's a bit more sweet because we use younger lambic. And it's also a bit easy to drink, less complex than an old Geuze. So that's the difference. There are people who are more mature in taste. They like old Geuze. People who are not used to drink complex beers, they prefer the geuze, the filtered geuze. So there is a public for both. The more I learned about Lendemans, the deeper my admiration for Lambic beers became. I mean, spontaneous fermentation is a really cool process. For me, it harkens back to the earliest human civilizations like Egypt and China, when exhausted farmers discovered that grain mash had unexpectedly turned into something that made them feel giddy. It was proof that their gods loved them. And spontaneous fermentation is, for me, what makes Lambics so essentially Belgian. These beers literally can be made no other place on earth. In a very real sense, they are Belgium. The whole idea of patience is brilliant too. If you want lambics, waiting is built into the process. You can only brew for a few months each year. You have to wait for the invisible microflora to do their thing. And once the lambic is ready, it has to sit for months and years until it can be used. I mean, think about the type of person it takes to thrive as a lambic producer and the work and care that has to go into the beer production. There's no such thing as instant gratification when it comes to making lambics, which makes me love it all the more. However, one can find instant gratification in tasting lambics. Tonight, I've got a Spaten Basil, one of Lindemann's specialty beers on the menu, along with a steaming bowl of pasta primavera. I'll have that familiar tang along the side of my tongue, an herbal end that goes amazingly well with Italian food, a big lambic boom, and a long finish. It's gonna be good. So off I go. This episode of Belgian Beer Quest is brought to you by Earblitz, a production of Advanti Pro GmbH. Our producers include beer barrel boss Brett Hellenius, mix master Manuel Flotkin, and me, your humble believer in awesome invisible yeasts, Nate Carney. Audio editing and mixing is by Manuel Flotkin, who bottled this episode in extra heavy champagne glass to make sure it was safe for transport. 
the earblitz.com website was aged overnight in a futuristic silver cool ship and then built by Laura Hirsch, Tabo Caballero, and Aaron T. Gregg. You can find us at earblitz.com or subscribe to Belgian Beer Quest on all platforms where you find your favorite podcasts. A very special thanks to Dirk Lindemans for his time, good humor, and expertise in all things Lambic. Please join us next time when we step into the wonderful Trappist mystery that is Rochefort, where excellence sits side by side with silence, and where sometimes the most important things are what you don't see. Until then, cheers to you. Cheers to you.